You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Here's Pastor Jessica Stan. Begin our time together here today on Way of Grace. The devil is not as big as people make him out to be. This is utterly a tragedy in religion. And Christ is not as small as people make him out to be. This is a travesty in religion. For Christ, who appears as God in the flesh, is so clearly in control of the creature he made called the devil that he merely tells him what to do, and he does it. I hope you've had a great weekend and that you're ready for a great week ahead as well. As we open our Bibles and seek God's wonderful promises here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastan. Now, Pastor Jesse is currently in a series in the book of Acts. And as we witness the Holy Spirit and what he accomplished in the lives of the disciples of the early Christian church, is the Holy Spirit guiding your life and your decision-making today? Here's Pastor Jesse in Acts chapter 3. Now, either the Word of God is true or it's not. Either the foundation is laid and no one else can lay that foundation, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The foundation has been laid and that foundation is Christ. Now, every man builds upon that foundation, every minister, but you are not laying the foundation over again. It's already laid. So when a person calls himself or she calls herself an apostle, she basically is waging war against biblical truth. I say that only to say that it's what, we, what you're going to see in the book of Acts is a unique ministry accomplished by the apostles exclusively. And in this context, the impact of the miracle was and it was designed by God to draw people to draw people to Peter and John. Look at the last part of verse 11. And it says, and they ran together, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, doing what, ladies and gentlemen? Greatly wondering. Now, we've been thinking this one through and working this one through ever since we opened up the book of Acts. What the apostles are doing is extending the ministry of Jesus Christ, which he did when we see him operating in his calling through the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the one undeniable expression or um, uh, impact that was made upon the people whenever Christ healed or preached or taught was that they were amazed, that they were astonished, that they were marveling. Acts chapter 2, verse 7. Remember, 
the 120 in the upper room. They're speaking in unknown languages, right? The languages of other men. And listen to what verse 7 says. And they were all amazed. And they marveled, saying one to another. And then we see it again also uh, down in um, verse 17. Let me see here. No. There's another place where it's spoken. Um, Verse 12. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what means this? Now, ladies and gentlemen, what we have taking place here, as our first point says, and you can leave the point up, leave the point, point number number one, leave that up. Um, Greatly wondering, this idea of being astonished or being taken aback or finding oneself uh, marveling is a messianic signet. It means that Christ is present by his spirit doing something of such unusual level that you know that you are in the presence of God. The people are now taken back because they can give no human reason for why this miracle took place other than God did it. This is what happens when you actually meet God in the ministry of the word. How do we know Jesus shows up in the, the ministry of the word, in the ministry of the people of God. Because a kind of amazement and a kind of marveling takes place in the soul. This is true even in the preaching of the gospel. When the word of God illuminates the mind and the heart and you come to a clarity of certain biblical truths at a level you had not come to before, don't you marvel? Aren't you astonished when the truth is made plain to your soul? By the way, I think I said this last time. This is something of which we would always want to experience. Even in your own private study. Let me see if I can drive this home. When you open your Bible and you read your Bible, what you want God to do is to cause you to marvel at its truth. You don't want to read your Bible like Reader's Digest. You don't want to read it like Jet Magazine. You don't want to read it like some superficial, carnal piece of data. You want the Spirit of God to take the Word of God and apply it to your heart in such a way that it opens your eyes and creates the kind of impact in your soul that causes you to pause. Have you ever been there? You're reading, and there's such an illumination of the text that you have to stop, sit your Bible down, and just go into suspended animation and marvel at the revelation. That's what you want. You want God to take you up in the spirit and cause you to think through the profundity of his word being open to you. You do not want to go through a casual reading of scripture and it have no actual impact on your soul. You really don't want to see that occur in worship as well. So obviously, as we are kind of contemplating the application of the presence of Christ in the ministry of the world word, what we are asking for is for God to make an impact in our life every time we come together with him. Right. Make an impact in my life. By the way, what will help you, particularly when you come out to study, if you get off of work at five o'clock and study is at eight o'clock and that's what it's going to be every time now, eight o'clock, go home and take a nap before you come. Don't do 50 different things. Come in and think the Holy Ghost is just going to take away your sleep. Okay, get a little nap in. Pull your car to the side. Come early. Park way over in the dark areas where people might be inclined to break into the car. Recline your seat back and take a nap for 20 minutes and honor God with your bodies. 
Am I making some sense? Honor God with your body. And so uh, because you want to be impacted by the word. So what we're saying is greatly wondering is a, is a pattern of things in the gospel of Luke, chapter two, verse 46 through 48. I want to I just want you to see a couple of them in the gospels again. And, and we won't have to visit this again. I don't think, but I do want you to know that what we will see taking place in the book of Acts is precisely what we saw taking place in the Gospels. I know I said it before, but I want to just recapitulate those things for our own soul's benefit. Acts chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 46 through 48. Listen to what it says. Luke 2, 46 says this. And it came to pass that after three days they found him, that is Jesus, in the temple sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Now look at verse 47. And all that heard him were what? At his understanding and his answers. Even at 12 years old, he was blowing away the doctors of theology with the kind of questions and prudent answers he was giving them in the temple because God was with him. Even then, that's what was happening. And so then uh, we look at another one over in chapter four, verse 30, uh, verse 33 through 37, chapter four. I'm sorry. Let me let me quote uh, verse 48 in chapter two again. Uh, Verse 48. And when they saw him, they were amazed. Now, who is this? Mom and daddy. And his mother said unto him, son, why have you thus dealt with us? Behold, your father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he says unto them, how is it that you sought me? Unfortunately, the old King James language doesn't actually grasp the way he would have stated this. I think you probably have become sensitive enough to know that sometimes the way Jesus spoke to his mother and others almost seemed a bit irreverent, right? But it's simply because the language now is removed 400 years from the King James writing. And so we need to be a little bit more sensitive to it. And he's simply asking the the question, what 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 is it? What is it that's in you that's moving to uh, ask me these questions in this way? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? That wasn't irreverent. Had it been irreverent, he would have been disobedient. Had he been disobedient, he would have failed to be our representative and substitute. Children are not to be irreverent toward their parents. Am I making some sense? So whatever, whatever you derive from this text, what you do not derive is just because he's the son of God, he gets to be irre- disrespectful or irreverent to his parents. Nothing could be further from the truth. Sometimes we just have to work with the nuances of the language. Okay, now chapter 4, verse 33 through 37 is another account where Jesus is doing ministry. Chapter 4, verse 33 through 37, if you have your Bibles. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with thee? Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who you are, the Holy one of God. Jesus rebuked him saying, hold your peace, come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him down in the mist, he came out of him and hurt him not. Verse 36, here it is. And they were all amazed. And they spake among themselves, saying, what a word is this? 
For with authority and power, he commanded the unclean spirits and they came out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when Christ went about doing ministry, the depth of power was so very clear that all people could do is marvel. Now, they're third parties to an, uh, an engagement between him and the demons. They're standing back observing how Christ spoke masterfully to demons. Now, now, now you will notice, will you? You will notice that Jesus doesn't wrestle with demons like priests do in, 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 in these movies, right? The, the devil is not throwing Jesus around. Jesus winning one round, devil winning one round. Jesus running, getting some what? You, you understand that the biblical depiction of the sovereignty of God in Christ is of such a magnitude that the only thing you see is total subjugation on the part of the demons towards Christ. There is not the least bit of irreverence, uh, assault, battle, conflict, tension going back and forth between Christ and the demons. At no time. Are you hearing me? At no time. And, and what's important to note about that is this. If you have a small view of God and a large view of the devil, you have a distorted view of the truth. If you have a small view of God, like many churches do, and a large view of the devil, you have a distorted view of biblical truth. The devil is not as big as people make him out to be. This is utterly a tragedy in religion. And Christ is not as small as people make him out to be. This is a travesty in religion. For Christ who appears as God in the flesh is so clearly in control of the creature he made called the devil that he merely tells him what to do and he does it. By the way, when we see this same scenario in the book of Acts, in the life of the apostles, it will be the same way. You will not see the apostles going through three rounds of ring fighting with devils. Winning one round, losing another, finally beating him in the third round. They will masterfully deal with the demonic powers on the same level that Christ did. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? This is very important for a proper understanding of the character and nature of God. Verse 30, um, verse 37, and the fame of him went out in every place of the country round about. Let me see if I can do one more. No, uh, go back to our text. I'll make mention of these as we go back. Go back to Acts chapter 3. So then what we see taking place with John and Peter as they were uh, going to the temple for prayer, is an opportunity for God to manifest his glory, uh, manifest the glory uh, of Jesus Christ through their ministry by the healing of this lame man. And it then becomes an opportunity to proclaim a truth, which brings us to point number two in our outline. Point number two, and you have it in your uh, outline too, the testimony of God in Christ. That's where verse 13 came up. 
I want to state it again, and then I want to quote some verses to affirm this, because this is truly the reason why God performed miracles through the apostles. The God of Abraham and of Isaac, stop, go back to verse 12. Let me establish this premise. And when Peter saw it, when Peter saw what we were talking about, that the folks were gathered together in swarms because of the healing of this lame man. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, why are you, what's the word, marveling at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power and holiness we have made this man to walk? Now, what is he doing? He's deflecting what otherwise might have been a glory or an honor attributed to them when in fact Peter and John would have known this is not about them. Immediately, they dissuade the people from an inordinate respect of even the apostles knowing that this is not about them. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Now watch what he does. He says, for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is a language device that would have identified the people to whom he was speaking as the God who actually owns their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. He hath glorified his son, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So here we go again. We have the testimony of God being manifested. We have the indictment of the people and their rulers being affirmed both in this verse and the next verse. This is the two-edged sword. One is God is glorifying his son. This is exactly what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. John 13, 31 and 32. Listen to what Jesus said. This is right before Jesus is crucified. This is where he knows he is about to turn the corner and be betrayed by his own people. And, and notice what he says as he speaks to his heavenly father in John 13, verse 31 and 32. This is how Christ thinks through the suffering that he's about to endure by the rejection of the Jewish people and then being put to death by crucifixion. Verse 31 I'm going to start at verse 30. And he then, having received the sop, that is Judas Iscariot, went immediately out, and it was night. John uses his language to describe the darkness that's setting in on the whole nation of Israel, and particularly the rulers who are governed by the devil, who are now going to move out with a band of soldiers and authorities to come take Jesus. This is a very dark night. Verse 31. Therefore, when he was going out, that is Judas, Jesus said, now mark these words, ladies and gentlemen, now is the son of man, what? And God, which is his father, is glorified in him. Do you see this? Now, this is a unique expression of Christ's interpretation of what he was about to go through in terms of being betrayed, suffering, and then being killed. Now, think about this as the son of God. He views suffering as an aspect of his glory. He views being put to death by the betraying hands of his own people and the denial of his disciples and the forsaking of his disciples, the abandonment of his disciples, leaving him as the sole object of the wrath and antipathy of both the devil and the rulers, Jews and Gentiles, as his glory. There's a lesson in that, right? There's a lesson, and it really is a, a very strong, biblically redemptive lesson that I don't think we always get, and that's this. There is glory always to be had 
for the people of God on the other side of suffering for Christ. There is glory always to be had for the people of God on the other side of suffering for Christ. Now, if you pause, you think this through, you understand that the statement that I'm making really does require maturity. Because you and I, we know by nature when folks come at us the wrong way, we don't see glory at all. All we see is adversity of which we are willing to, by any means necessary, halt and stop. And we're asking for God's power to help us do that. Am I telling the truth? But our Savior understood that it's critical to walk by faith and not by sight. And to be able to depend upon God who governs all things, who providentially brings about circumstances of which we say God rules. But so many times we actually frustrate that proposition by acting as if he does not rule when adversity comes into our life and we want to turn it in another direction. See what I'm getting at? Does God rule? Does he bring trouble into our life? Does he bring difficulties and hardships and obstacles into our life? Sometimes unaware, sometimes at times where he hasn't even given us a warning. Does he bring them into our life in order for us to stand and believe God through those things? Has, has he demonstrated in your life on occasion, those, those rare occasions that you might be able to count on one hand out of all of the years of your Christian walk where you just simply stood and said, okay, God, okay, this time I'm just going to trust you through it. I'm going to wait until you get me on the other side of this and I'm going to see how you actually show up in my life. I'm not going to fight this. I'm not going to argue this. I'm not going to debate this. I'm not going to rationalize this. I'm going to wait on God. You know those rare occasions where we have done that? Where you can count on one hand all of the times I've been a Christian 35 years. And when you do it, he comes through. And when you get on the other side, you actually learn more about God than you ever would have by merely fighting providence. See, this is one of the perspectives of a Christocentric calling that you've got to have when it comes to trouble in this life. You and I cannot always seek to avoid trouble if we're called Christians. And in the event, this is the, the, the manner in which Christ is viewing the suffering that he is going through. Here's what he says. He says, now is the son of man glorified. The moment that Judas leaves, he knows what Judas is about to do. Judas has already made the agreement with the rulers that he was going to betray Jesus. He simply needed to know where Jesus was going and he knew where Jesus was going because Jesus always went where he was about to go now to pray in the garden of Gethsemane. And he was headed to go tell the chief priest and the rulers and get his 30 pieces of silver and betray the son of God. Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. Now watch this. He says, and if I be glorified, then God is glorified in him. Now, here's the other application that's critical for you and me. When I am God's, what is most important it's not merely me simply being able to overcome the trial. 
that's true, I want to overcome that trial. I don't want to fail if I can help it. I don't want to deny the Lord if I can help it. I don't want to defect if I can help it. I do know there's a remedy for that if I do, but I don't want to. What I do want to do is to see God glorified in it. Do you guys get that? That's the other side of it. See, I don't want to just overcome the trial so I can tell saints that it's possible for us to overcome the trial. If you wait on God, God will give you the grace to overcome it. You'll be able to triumph. You'll be able to victory. See, that's still a bit narcissistic. It's still a bit self-centered. It's still a bit about me. Am I making some sense? And I would suggest to us that the idea of us simply wanting to be able to discover the power to overcome trials is an adolescent understanding of what it means to be in Christ. Well, you are listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. Closing out our time together today, we invite you to reach out to us. Let us know how the program encourages you in your walk with Christ. Questions, comments, prayer requests are always welcome. You can either write to us, give us a call, or stop by our website and drop us an email. Now, the best place to go, of course, is the website. Not only will you be able to write to us via email, you'll be able to get more information about who we are, what we believe, Worship Times, How to Get Here. Grace-Bible.com is our website. Again, that's Grace-Bible.com. If you wish to give us a call, the number is 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, our address is 22768 Main Street. That's 22 22- 768 Main Street, here in Hayward, the zip code 94541. That's 22768 Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541. One final note as we close out our time today, this program is listener-supported. If you wish to partner with us, we would be more than grateful. This broadcast airs throughout the Bay Area, as well as online, impacting thousands for the sake of Christ. And that is our hope and our goal. If you'd like to partner with us along those lines, feel free to write or give us a call. No gift is too large, no gift too small, whether a one-time gift or a monthly support. You're more than welcome to reach out. We would love to partner with you as we minister the gospel of Jesus to the Bay Area and the World Wide Web. Thank you for spending time with us today. Until next time, may Christ be your way of grace. In case we haven't met, I'm Dino Colombo. I represent people hurt by a truck. It's what we do every day. Navigating the law can be tough, but we're tougher. Let us handle the fight. Hurt by a truck? Call Colombo Law.